What are you afraid of? You know, if we are honest with ourselves, most of us would admit that we're afraid of something. Some of us are old enough to recognize the name Nikita Khrushchev. And he was a premier, I think, of the Soviet Union um, back when I was a youngster. And he was giving a speech. And at this speech, he was telling how horrible jo uh, Joseph Stalin, yeah, Joseph Stalin was during his reign, and he had murdered millions of people, even of his own people. And someone in the audience yelled out, well, you were one of his colleagues. Why didn't you say something? And Nikita Khrushchev says, who said that? And the room became deathly silent. And he waited a minute and said, that's exactly why we were afraid. You know, and so we recognize, you know, things like that. We say, oh, no, you know, stand up for right. But yet, in moments like that, which one of us would have said, I said that? We meet people that are fearful they're going to catch some sickness. They're afraid they're going to die. They're afraid they're going to lose their material things. They're afraid of aging. They're afraid of some, and they might be embarrassed in some situation. And they live their life. You've met them. I've met them. They live their life in constant fear. They won't ever go outside anything that would cause them any kind of an emotional change out of their, whatever their state of comfort is, they don't want any part of it. They don't want to try any new food. They don't want to go any new place. They don't want to go anywhere. They just want to stay in their home because that's their comfort zone. Remember Ann Landers? For those of you that may not recognize that name, Ann Landers was the blogger of our time, of my time. She had this advice column and people would write into her and someone asked her, you know, you get approximately 10,000 letters a month. And they asked her, is there any, you know, commonness or common theme about this? And her response was, as, as amazing as it would sound, most of them are about being afraid of something. They're afraid that their relationship might fail. They're afraid they're going to lose their job. They're afraid of this. They're afraid of that. Now, I'll ask the question again. You ever been afraid? I have. When our girls were home and they were little and Shirley was there and I was trying to work and support them. I was afraid when I heard at the factory that, hey, they're talking about layoffs. And I knew if there was a layoff, my seniority wasn't enough and I was gonna be out of a job. What was I gonna do? How was I gonna take care of my wife and my children? I was afraid. And there's probably instances in your life where you could say that I honestly was afraid. But fear can become so part of our life that the cost, the cost 
far outweighs any benefit that we might have of being concerned or, or feared or, or of fearing something. And I'm going to share two examples with you this morning. One was from the text that Matthew read in Mark chapter 4, chapter 6, excuse me, um, concerning King Herod. And the other is from King Asa. And so if you have your Bibles, turn there to Mark chapter 6. And I didn't ask him to read all that we were going to look at. Uh, but I'm going to take a moment here and read it. And notice beginning in verse 14. And we're going to read down uh, to... Um, To verse 26. Matthew, or Mark chapter 6, beginning in verse 14. Now King Herod heard of him, heard of Jesus, for his name had become well known. And he said, John the Baptist is risen from the dead, and therefore these powers are at work in him. Others said it is Elijah, others said it is the prophet, or one, or one like the prophets. And when Herod heard it, he said, this is John whom I beheaded. And he has been raised from the dead. For Herod himself had sent and laid hold of John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother's wife. For he had married her because John had said to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. Therefore Herodias held it against him and wanted to kill him, but, kill him, but she could not. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a just and holy man and he protected him. And when he heard him, he did many things and heard him gladly. Then an opportune day came when Herod was on his birthday, gave a feast for the, his nobles, high officers, and the chief men of Galilee. Then Herodias, and when Herodias' daughter herself came in and danced and pleased Herod, and those who sat with him, the king said to the girl, Ask me whatever you want, and I will give it to you. And he swore, Whatever you ask, I will give to you up to half of my kingdom. So she went out and asked her mother, what shall I ask? And she said, the head of John the Baptist. Immediately she came in with haste to the king and saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry, yet because of the oaths and because of those who sat with him, he did not want to refuse her. As we read through that account, there are markers there that suggest that Herod was afraid of some things. He was afraid to make his wife angry. He was afraid of John the Baptist. He was afraid of those people around him. He didn't want to lose face. If you know anything about the history or to familiarize with the history of Herod and Herodias, Herodias had been married to Herod's half-brother, Philip. Herod Antipas, according to history, approached her while they were both married to others. She agreed to marry him if he put away his wife. He did. She divorced Philip, and Antipas divorced his wife, and they were married. And John preached, as it says in this text, that their marriage was not lawful. Look at verse 18. Because John had said to Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. But because John was more fearful about his relationship with his wife, 
he had John, or because Herod, excuse me, was more fearful about his relationship with his wife, he had John the baptizer arrested and imprisoned. Notice what it says. Verse 17, for Herod himself had sent and laid hold of John and bound him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother's wife, for he had married her. He didn't, he didn't imprison John because John was in prophet. He didn't imprison John because John had, was causing civil unrest. He imprisoned him because he was more fearful of his wife than he was the prophet of God. Fear can make you do some strange things. Reread on. Because he feared the people, even though he didn't want to kill John, he did. Notice down in verse 26. And the king was exceedingly sorry, yet because of the oaths and because of those who sat with him, he did not refuse her. Ever been embarrassed? If you've never been embarrassed, I want to shake your hand. Because if you've left your house and interacted with people in any way, you're going to be embarrassed. You're going to say something you shouldn't have said. You're going to do something that you shouldn't have done. You're going to be embarrassed. You know, on me, I'm one of those guys that have their capillaries or just under their skin and and my face just gets as red. Surely, on the other hand, she never gets red. And I'm, man, that girl, I wish I could see that. My whole life's on my face. And it was red plenty of times in my life. And will be red plenty of times until the day I die. Be embarrassed. John was afraid of being embarrassed. How many of you of us, how many times have I, how many times have you not done what I know I should have done or you've not done what you know you should have done because you might get embarrassed? We could probably all raise our hands, couldn't we? I have seen people throughout my years of being a Christian that when you sit and talk to that person, that person starts talking And you never get a word in until it's time to go home. They are talking about this, talking about that, saying this. They they can talk about anything. But ask them to do a prayer? I can't do that. What? Wait a minute. (laughs) You're the guy that just bent my ear for 45 minutes and you can't do a prayer? And the reason is, don't want to be embarrassed. I'm more afraid of looking foolish before the eyes of those around me than I am not using what obviously is a talent, a God-given ability for the cause of Christ. Here's Herod. Herod, he's more afraid of losing face, if I can use that term, of being embarrassed before his buddies, before all the elite of the area. He's more afraid of losing face than he is killing a prophet of God. Fear comes with a high cost. It comes with a high cost. You and I may not pay the cost of that in this lifetime. Well, we will, but we're probably oblivious to it. Because we don't, you know, we don't know what we're missing. I'm afraid to go here, but yet... If I would have went, 
I might have met someone that would have had a great impact on my life. I'm afraid to go over there, or I'm afraid to go to this place, or I'm afraid to do this, or I'm afraid to do that. And that may have been the moment in your life that would have taken you from fear to being that effective servant of God. Who knows? Isn't that what... um, um, Mordecai said to um, Esther, who knows that God didn't put you here at this moment and this time for this reason? Who knows? Which one of us know, does know that because God, we're going to be, go beyond our comfort zone, we're going to do something that we don't feel comfortable doing, that that may be a defining moment in our life, Specific, or specifically when it comes to our service with God. The text said that Herod was perplexed when he heard about Jesus. And and the word carries, it's not just, it it carries the idea of an intensified. He was was confused, he was worried, he was perplexed. And and I, I don't think that I'm stretching the scriptures a little bit to think that Herod was, was anxious about this. Is this John? John that I beheaded, is this John that's come back from the dead that's doing these miracles? Because when he was living, he didn't do any miracles. Now he's doing miracles. And clearly, if he's doing miracles, he's from God. And I murdered him. You don't think Herod thought about that? In Matthew chapter 14, verse 5. It says, although he wanted to put him to death, Matthew's version's a little different than Mark's, he feared the multitude because they counted him as a prophet. So even though he wanted to put him to death because he had spoken against his wife and against his marriage, he was afraid of what the people would do if he did. So here's a man that's living in fear. His whole life is encompassed after what he did in arresting John and marrying that woman that should not have married. His whole life is a constant state of fear. If I do this, I'm going to be in trouble. If I do this, if I don't kill John, the pe- if I kill John, the people are going to turn against me. If I don't kill John, my wife's going to be angry with me. And if I don't kill John, my buddies are going to think I'm a fool. How would you like to be that person? But you know, many of us are. And we don't even realize it because we're fearful of so many things. King Asa. In 2 Chronicles chapter 14, if you have your Bibles, you'll turn there. Asa came on the scene, king of Judah, removed the idols, he removed the high places. I mean, he was on focus as God's servant. In verse 11, we read, or verse 9, Then Zerah, 
the Ethiopian came out against him with an army of a million men. A million men. You think about that. I remember when I was young, because of World War II and, and then the Korean War, there was a lot of movies that were army-based, war-based. And I remember watching this one movie, and, and, and I don't recall the name of it, but it were, was our soldiers in the Korean War. And, and these, the Chinese, it was just you know, wave after wave after wave after wave of these soldiers coming upon our soldiers who were entranced. And, and, and the, I imagine the, the, what the director was trying to convey was there was this mass of humanity, this million-man army that was pitted against our soldiers. And they could kill 1,000, but yet there was 10,000 more. They could kill 10,000, but yet there was 100,000 more. And just this vast army coming against our soldiers. Zira had a million-man army. Notice what Asa says. Then Zira the Ethiopian came out against them with an army of a million men and 300 chariots, and he came to Merishah. So Asa went out against him, and they set the troops in battle array in the valley of Zephathah, at Merishah, and Asa cried out to the Lord his God, Lord, it is nothing, it is nothing for you to help, whether with many or with those who have no power. Help us, O Lord our God, for we rest on you, and in your name we go against this multitude. O oh Lord, you are our God. Do not let men prevail against you. So the Lord struck the Ethiopians before Asa and Judah, and the Ethiopians fled. And Asa and the people who were with him pursued them to Gerar. So the Ethiopians were overflown, thrown. They could not recover, for they were broken before the Lord and his army. Here's a man that leads an army out against a million-man army. Doesn't Jesus say something some years later? No man goes to war except he counts the cost. Asa went out. God, this army of a million men mean nothing to you. You can win with many. You can win with few. And God, we're putting our trust in you. Wouldn't you have liked to have been Asa? Wouldn't you have liked to have seen that? You don't think that some of those Israelite soldiers were a little concerned, maybe even fearful? Can you imagine there with your spear or your sword and you look out and you see a million soldiers? Maybe they're doing some of those, whoop, whoop, you know, a million men doing this chant and the, and the sound's just rolling across and hitting you like a force. You don't think you'd be afraid? 
I think I'd be a little concerned. Asa said, God, you can do this. If Asa's story ended right there, boy, he would be a great example. But it doesn't. Turn back to 2 Kings and notice in verse 16. 2 Kings 15, 2 Kings 15, verse 16. Now there was a war between Asa and Basha, king of Israel, all their days. And Basha, king of Israel, came up against Judah and built Ramah, that he might let none go out or come in to Asa, king of Judah. Then Asa took all the silver and gold that was left in the treasuries of the house of the Lord and the treasuries of the king's house, and delivered them into the hands of his servant, and King Asa sent them to Ben-Hadad, the son of Timuron, the son of Hezion, king of Syria, who dwelled in Damascus, saying, Let there be a treaty between you and me, as there was between my father and your father, See, I have sent you a present of silver and gold. Come and break your treaty with with Basha, king of Israel, so that he will withdraw from me. A million-man army had been defeated by God when Asa says, God, you can do this, you will do this, by many or by few. And now a king of Israel come against him, idolaters. And Asa makes a treaty, a covenant, with Syria. So Ben-Hadid heeded King Asa and set the captain of his armies against the city of Israel. He attacked Ijon, Dan, Abel-Beth, Makkah, and Chenaroth, and all the land of Naphtali. And it happened when Basha heard it that he stopped building Ramah and return, remained in Terzah. Then King Asa made a proclamation throughout all Judah. None was exempted. And they took away the stones and timber of Ramah, which Basha had used for building. And with them, King Asa built Geba of ben- Benjamin and Mizpah. And all the racks, uh, let's see, I'm missing something. Uh, turn back here. And, and turn back to Second Chronicles chapter 16. And then in verse 7. And at that time, after he made this treaty, at that time Hanani the seer came to Asa king of Judah and said to him, Because you have relied on the king of Syria and have not relied on the Lord your God, therefore the army of the king of Assyria has escaped from your land, Were the Ethiopians and Lubin not a huge army with very many chariots and horsemen? Yet because you relied on the Lord, he delivered them out of your hand. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is loyal to him. In this you have done foolishly, therefore from now on you shall have wars." Then Asa was angry with the seer, a seer was another word for a prophet of God, the seer, and put him in prison, for he was enraged at him because of this, and Asa oppressed some of the people at that time. Here's a man with 
outstanding, strong faith against a huge army, but yet against a much smaller army. He's fearful. And he seeks a treaty with a foreign land. Fear can make us do strange things. What does the Bible say about fear? Proverbs chapter 1, verse 33, but whoever listens to me, this is wisdom talking, whoever listens to the wisdom of God will dwell safely and will be secure without fear of evil. I think of David who says, thy word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against thee. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 25, the fear of man brings a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord shall be saved. In other words, if I put my trust in the Lord, I don't have anything to fear. What can man do to me? Isn't that what Peter asked? Timothy, during his ministry in 2 Timothy, Paul writes him because Timothy seemed to be, he stopped, he'd stopped doing what he should have been doing. He was fearful for some reason or another, and Paul says to him, Therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. And what Paul's saying is that he laid his hands on Timothy, and Timothy had some miraculous gift or gifts. Paul says you better start using those. Timothy wasn't using them. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. What gift do you and I have? that we're not using. I'm not saying it's miraculous, obviously. But we all have something. We all have one talent, or two talents, or three talents, or four talents, or five talents. What gift do you have, or I have, that we're not using because we're afraid? Afraid we might hurt someone's feelings. Afraid we might be embarrassed. Afraid that we might cause tension with someone. Fear. Paul says, stir up that gift which is in you. Get with the program, Timothy. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus sending out the 12 for the limited commission. He told them, when you go, you're going to face persecutions. And he says, do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both body and soul in hell. Let me ask us this. Would I be better off dealing with my fear and striving to overcome it in this life than I would be facing the responsibilities of not doing what God would have me to do because of my fear in eternity. You answer that. In teaching his disciples to refrain from being anxious over the things needed for life, Jesus said, and do not seek what you should eat or drink or what you should eat or what you should drink, nor have an anxious mind. For all these things the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knows that you need them. But seek the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added to you. Do not fear, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. What's he saying? We fret so much about material things. 
Believe it or not, Social Security sent me a check this month. Out of the blue. I wasn't supposed to get that check. I got this check, and I, you know, I'm, I'm not even saying anything to Shirley about this. This is my check. <laughs> and I said, by the, you know, I can't do that. I said, by the way, did you happen to get a check from Social Security? No. Well, I did. Why'd you get one? Well, I don't know. I got one. She checked her account. Well, yeah, I got one, too. I said, wonder why we got that. She said, I don't know. I said, don't spend that. They're going to want it back. We got a letter yesterday because of some social, uh, some, uh, what I paid in last year for Social Security. They gave us a little raise. Hey, now I'm all fretting, you know, like when I eventually retire or die, whatever it may be, you know, how is Shirley going to make it or how are we going to make it and things like that. Here, God just gave me a little extra to spend. God will take care of you. We have to trust in him. He will. So how do I overcome? How do you overcome fear? Bottom line, you've got to learn to trust in God. You've got to be Asa in his early years. We read in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5 and 6, For he himself has said, I will never leave nor forsake you, so we will boldly say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Trust in the Lord. Well, how do I develop trust in the Lord? It's a faith thing. It's a faith thing. And the Bible is very specific. Faith comes through hearing and hearing through the word of God. If you spend time in the word of God and you look at the promises God has made in the past and how he fulfilled each one of those promises that he made, why would we not expect him to fulfill the promises that he's made to us? And he tells us it's not because we earned them. He says, by grace, you are saved through faith. As soon as I start thinking it's because I've earned these or because I, oh, excuse me, I only have these message, uh, blessings because I merit them, then I'm lost. I can't worship God enough Sundays to earn salvation. I cannot give enough money in the collection to know that God is going to provide for me the things that I need in, the, in my life. There's nothing I can do that would warrant that, that I've earned that. It's by His grace. And we enjoy that grace because of our faith. Obviously, it's a demonstrated faith, James says in James chapter 2. And then we can pray. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7, the apostle Paul writes, Be anxious for nothing, be fearful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Jesus Christ. What do you fear? Frank Hubert was a well-known science fiction writer, and years ago he wrote this series of books called the Dune Trilogy. I think it ended up being more than three. But there was this main character in it, Paul Atreides, and he would say this litany when he was fearful. He would say, fear is the mind killer. Fear is the little death that brings total obliteration. 
We say it a little differently and probably a phrase that you may have heard. A coward dies a thousand deaths, but a hero only dies once. And if you think about it, when we're fearful, when we know that we should be doing something, we know we should be stretching ourselves, but when we're afraid to do it, it kills us a little inside, doesn't it? does me and I suspect that it would you as well fear is a paralyzer it's a man killer it's often unwarranted it's always costly it's a motivating it was a motivating factor in causing John his life it was a motivating factor in destroying all that Asa had done and so the question as we leave here this morning are your fears keeping you from serving God as you should? And are you ready to lay them aside and trust in God? If you're here this morning and have not put on Christ in baptism, we urge you to do so. Sometimes it's a fear thing. I don't want to get up there in front of everybody, so you know I'm afraid to be baptized. Sometimes it's, I'm afraid that I won't live perfectly. Well, let me tell you, I am a standing illustration. And every Christian in here, I believe, would agree with me. We are standing illustrations of imperfect people. But we're saved people. And we're saved by the grace of God. So if you need to be baptized this morning, today's the day of salvation. Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? You're willing to repent of your sins and confess that faith before men and then be immersed in water. That God has chosen that moment because an answer of a good heart to say you are washed, you are cleansed, you are saved. We'd like to help you to do that this morning. And if you are a New Testament Christian and you've sinned, you've, you've hurt the church of God, you've hurt the church of the, our Lord, or you've sinned in a private way. If it's private, it's between you and God. But address that. If it's public, it needs to be addressed publicly. God is faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness. But we can't be so fearful that we won't turn from it, that we won't acknowledge it, that we won't do what God would have us to do. If we can help in any way, won't you come as we sing this song of encouragement?